At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Just by, uh, just by survey this morning, and you can raise your hand. If you're not one of those raise your hand kind of people, that's okay as well. How many of you come from a background or experience or tradition uh, where what we just recited a moment ago and even what we sang, the Apostles' Creed, was something that, that you're pretty familiar with. It maybe happened in your experience every weekend. You know, that was just, you recited the Apostles' Creed wherever you were at. Okay, uh, many of you. How many of you, no experience, on the other end of it, had no experience with the Apostles' Creed, like that's maybe relatively new to you, or you've heard about it somewhere here or there on the radio or something like that, but like, it's, it's unfamiliar. I'm just curious how many of you uh, come from the unfamiliar side of things. Okay, a good handful of you uh, as well. Well, I ask that because we are beginning a series this morning called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And we are over the next eight Sundays, and we're going to include Good Friday in that eight. So over the next nine messages that you'll hear uh, from this pulpit and from this place, we're going to be taking the Apostles' Creed, what we just uh, confessed together this morning and recited. We're going to be taking that, and that's going to be the framework through which we're going to uh, to look at these topics over the next uh, several weeks, because they reflect the essential doctrines or the essential teaching of the Christian faith. You may ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what does a Christian absolutely, essentially, what is like the bare minimum of what we should believe? And the Apostles' Creed is an articulation of that essential doctrine that the you must believe to be a Christian. In fact, we would say it like this, if, if you don't believe these things, if they are not uh, things that you lay your life on and, and uh, affirm as, as being true, then, then you're not a Christian. Uh, that's, that's how we would say that and see these things. So we want you to understand what are the essentials, why truth matters, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus so you can grow in your faith and so that you can even begin to share and explain what the Christian faith is with other people. And so that's why uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the Apostles' Creed. We'll be reciting it as a church family uh, together. We want you to get to know it. We want you to be familiar with it. We've included uh, an insert in the bulletin. That's a, maybe you can use that as a bookmark or stick it in your Bible just as a way for you to, to get familiar familiar with the language of this ancient creed, and I'll explain a little bit more about why, where it came from and what it is in just a moment, but we want you to have this as a resource as we walk through this series over the next uh, several weeks. Well, let's ask a question because the series is titled The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. Let's just ask the fundamental question that this, that this series title begs altogether. What is truth? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Whether you recognize it or not, that is a profound and universally expressed question that I think probably every human being at one point or another is asking themselves. What is truth? What is reality? What is, what is realness? What is this thing? Philosophers debate over it. They ponder it. They, they ask about it. But it's not just philosophers. Politicians question it. They wonder as well. Jesus met a politician named Pontius Pilate, and he says, what is truth? And so it, it's there. Our artists 
question and wonder about truth and, and reality. They seek it and pursue it. Teachers many times are required to teach truth, and so even they go, well, is this, is this true or false? It's like everybody everywhere, all of us, at one point or another, teenagers in the midst of their existential crisis of life go, what is real? What is true? All of us, at the core of our existence, ask the question, is this true? Is this real? But there's a problem with the idea of truth for us in our day and time. And, and it sits on a couple different uh, spectrums, or on one hand or another. On one hand, we live in a culture of extreme individualism. We're told to be, be authentic to yourself. Live your truth. And, and what happens is we are encouraged for everyone to make your own truth. Uh, identify yourself however you'd like. Build your truth and your life in whatever way you'd like. And that's good and true as long as your expectation and experience of truth does not conflict with someone else's expectation and experience of truth. Like if you have your truth and, and I have my truth and those two truths just kind of remain in peace and harmony together, great. You know, no harm, no foul. But the moment that your truth and my truth conflict with one another, well, then we've got wholesale problems, right? Like everything is out of whack. And, and so we, we have this culture of just like live your truth. Whatever it is, you do your thing just as long as you don't hurt anybody by it or with it or you disagree with me. On the other hand, so that's on one side of it. On the other hand, we live in a world of disinformation. And there's a difference between disinformation and misinformation. It's not just that there's, there's false things that are out there. or It's not that there are just things that are, are factually not true or, or in existence not real. Disinformation says, no, there are active lies against the truth. It's not that just things are wrong, but there is an attack against the truth, active attacks. And they stem from, ultimately, our wily enemy, Satan, who loves, I mean, he's the father of lies. He loves to sow lies. He loves to sow misinformation, and he loves to perpetuate disinformation against the truth of God in order to deceive the world and to deceive followers of Jesus. So with everyone having their own truth and the world full of information, misinformation, and disinformation, you know, I just look at all that. I survey the land and go, <laughs> it's, it's so hard. What is fact and what is fiction? What is true? What are lies? And we may be tempted in the malaise of it all to go, I don't think it matters. I don't, you just do your thing. Don't hurt me. <laughs> Live your life. Don't step on my life. And, and what can really become part of it is to say, you know what, we should prefer sincerity over certainty. Like, we, we would buy the philosophy, I think many of us would buy the philosophy, isn't, isn't the journey more important than the destination? Isn't it like the experiences along the road of life, doesn't that, doesn't that bring more value than the actual destination of life itself, like the, the, the conclusion of it and the ultimate meeting and an end of life and all things, the purpose of why we live. So we just kind of have this step back, almost lazy sort of approach of like, just live your life, live your truth, be your thing, and, and we'll get on it. Uh, one contributing editor to The Atlantic, Ross Dutha, he, he writes this. He says, the journey is only better than the destination if the destination turns out to be a disappointment and not the place you hope to arrive at at all. He says, yeah, think about, uh, you know, National Lampoon's Family Vacation. Wally were closed. Like, that's just disappointing. 
He writes and he says, questing, hoping, searching, anticipating. All of these experiences have their virtues, but their virtues are dependent upon the thing that you're questing for turns out to be worthwhile. And if it does, if that end does turn out to be worthwhile and good, then only a fool would say, well, the journey is what's really important. No, if the destination is worth it, then that's what's important. And so that's why I would say to you, truth does matter. The purpose of our lives, the goal of all things, it's worth having, it's worth knowing, not just the journey itself. And because truth matters, it's important for us to seek and to understand and to know and to believe the truth. Because what we believe will shape how we live. So as I mentioned, we're beginning this new series today on the essentials, why truth matters. And I've told you that we're, we're going to use the Apostles' Creed to help us with that. We need some language, and we need language that is both true and it's been affirmed by the church for centuries, and it's language that's drawn from the scriptures itself. We want to help you articulate, and not just articulate, but to live and to feel out these truths as well, to experience them. And the, the, the Apostles' Creed that we're going to be using to help us form this language, it's one of the oldest Christian statements of faith. I know some people might say, listen, I have no creed but the Bible itself. Well, how do you take all of what the Bible says and sum it up? We as a church have a statement of faith that, that has several other distinctive doctrines in it beyond just the Apostles' Creed, but, but it's a statement of faith. The Apostles' Creed is an early, essential statement of faith that says, here's the truth of Christianity distilled in a way that you can learn it and live it and believe it. The Apostles' Creed, probably not written by the apostles themselves. It, early forms of it showed up in the second and third century. It was used as a teaching device or a catechism to help new Christians, new converts to the faith, be able to articulate what they actually believed. And, and most likely, many of them did not have Bibles of their own. They were too expensive to own a personal copy of the Bible. Remember, the printing press hadn't been developed yet in Jesus' time and, and in, the later, or in the earlier centuries. Many people were still illiterate. And so as they gather with the church, they go, what do we believe? What, what is true? And the Apostles' Creed began to be a way of, of informing and discipling uh, Christians, new Christians, even uh, not yet Christians, about what Christianity truly believes. It, it began to be a rule of faith against false teaching and a faithful, faithful framework to unify churches together. And so that's why we're going to take the Apostles' Creed and say, all right, let's use these statements to help us know what's essential, to know what's true, and that we might believe it. And that's where we'll start. The Apostles' Creed calls us to believe. It says, I believe, every time. The, the word creed is actually from the Latin credo, which means I believe. What do you believe? What do you believe? And the first line of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God. I believe in God. That's where we're going to start. And you think, okay, that's a good thing. I mean, that's kind of probably if you're here today, although I won't say that this is everybody's experience at the moment right now, but probably if you're here today, you would say, yes, I, that's true. God exists. He is there. I believe in God. That He is there. That's, that's an obvious thing, maybe. And we would probably assume that. 81% of Americans believe that. But let me ask you a more penetrating question. Do you really believe in God? Do you really believe in God? That is to say, does your life reflect a fundamental, the fundamental truth that God exists, 
that he is there, that he can be known, and that, that he, because of his existence, has something to say about how you live your life? Do you believe that because God is there, like the sun at the center of our solar system and every planet rotates around it and, and circles and centers around it, do you believe that because God is there, everything in your life should center and be organized around him? Do you believe in God? Or is there perhaps a fundamental atheism going on in your life? Where, okay, maybe you'll intellectually say, oh, God there, higher power, whatever it is, he is. But in the way you live your life, you forget, you ignore, you suppress, you avoid his existence and who he is and how you live. Here's the issue that we face if we ignore God and reject God and his existence. To possess truth, if truth is the object, if that is the end or the goal of, of our lives, to know truth, if we don't have God in the picture, we can't really know truth because God defines truth. He defines reality. He gives reality. And so believing in God is essential to possessing truth. No God, no truth. But if you know God, you will know truth. Everything in our lives will be distorted, misinformed, misunderstood, and askew if we reject this beginning statement. I believe in God. So, do you believe in God? Does he define your reality? And you might say, well, why is it essential to believe in God? And this is what I want to get at this morning. Uh, we'll talk next Sunday uh, more about who God is, his nature, what we believe about him. But, but we want to start with understanding this idea of believing. What, what does it mean to actually believe in him? Is belief just intellectually in our head saying, oh, okay, I agree? Or is there something deeper to belief? What is that faith or believing in God do in our lives and why is it necessary and essential. And I want to give three answers to that question. Why is faith necessary and essential in our lives? Well, first of all, because belief in God is how we draw near to him. To believe in God is, is to draw near to him. Faith is how we get closer. It's how we come up, up to him. And so how do you get closer to someone or draw near to them, particularly someone you cannot see, you cannot perceive with your own eyes? Well, the Bible's answer on that is faith, belief, faith in God, belief in him is the means by which we draw closer to him and we relate with him. This is what the writer of Hebrews 11 here says in verse 1. He says, now faith, belief in, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of of things not seen. Now, let me break down and just kind of help us define this a little bit. Faith, first of all, what do I talk about when I'm talking about faith? Faith is, I would say, the banking of your life on. It's the, it's the depositing of who you are, what, what you trust, how you live, all of that. It is depositing your life or banking your life on someone or something. And, and that's what the scripture would affirm here. Okay, look at the, the words of this verse here. First of all, he says, faith is the assurance Look at that word. And then the second term, conviction. If you are assured of something, you're firmly confident in it. 
Like, yes, that's true. It's real. I believe it. I, I know it's there. I, you are confident that it exists, that, it, that it's a reality. Furthermore, if you have a conviction of that, it's a, a conviction is a deeply held, immovable persuasion. It's not just a preference, not just a like, well, I, I, it's a suggestion that I like. A conviction says, no, that's there, and I order my life around it. I, I am convinced of this. Faith is a firmly confident, deeply held conviction. But faith has an object. It has, it has a trajectory. It's pointing to something. In what? Keep going with me in the verse here. It's the assurance or the conviction. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or to say it this way, faith is banking your life on what is not possessed at the moment or not realized in the here and now. It's trusting something that you don't fully have in hand, and yet you are absolutely sure it will come through. Every human being believes or has faith in something. That's why I don't like to call non-Christians non-believers, because every human being believes in something or someone. It's the object of their faith. What are they believing in? Who are they believing in? We believe in something to rescue us from the bad things that are going on in our life, and we believe in something or someone to deliver to us the good things that we long to have. Every human being's life is shaped around faith, but it's the object of the faith that is at hand. Our lives are shaped by pursuing and acquiring the good life, and that's why we feel so restless. We put our hope, we put our faith in something or someone, and when that something or someone lets us down, we shift it over to another thing. Or when we find another thing that's more attractive, more beautiful, better, we, we chase after it. Faith is a requirement, though, to draw near to God. It's how we draw near to Him. So it's not just what we believe about someone or something. To actually get closer, we've got to believe. And that's what the writer here continues to say in verse 6. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So you can't, you can't get closer to God. You can't please him if you don't believe in him. For whoever would draw near, note that word, that phrase, whoever would draw near, whoever would get close to God, whoever would, would seek him, he must believe that two things, God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. So if you want to get close to God, you've got to actually believe in him. You can't get close to him. You can't seek him. You can't draw near without faith. What does that look like? Well, you believe he exists, that he's there, and that he rewards those who seek him. You won't throw your life on God and his promises if you don't believe he's there. You won't pursue him. You won't think about him. You won't pray. You won't order your life around who he is and what he teaches, if you don't think he can be found or if you don't think you can become close to him. Now, I could give you some uh, reasonable logic this morning, some um, use the discipline of apologetics, and I could build a case logically for the existence of God. But, but I just want to help us notice here what the text says that's required first and foremost. You must believe or have faith that he exists. Faith has to be the starting point. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith has to be the starting point. Uh, Augustine said this. He said, if you have not understood, he says, I say, believe. 
For understanding is the recompense of faith. It's the payment out of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand so that you may believe, but believe so that you may understand. For as the scripture says, unless you believe, you will not understand. You might want to say, well, give me all the evidence, give me all the reasons to believe, and then I will. And I'll say to you, no, start with belief, and then the understanding will grow. Consider how fundamental this is. If you're going to pursue someone or possess something, you have to believe that it is there to be had. If, if you have in your mind, you know, I'm going to go, I want to go and enjoy an amazing Hawaiian vacation. I want to experience all the things that Hawaii has to offer, the beauty of the islands, the beaches, the, the fresh fruit, the, the warm tropical sun, snorkeling in the water with all the fish and, and just enjoying everything about it, the luau's, the, all of it. I just want to enjoy an incredible Hawaiian vacation. But you don't believe the island of Hawaii actually exists? You won't go out and buy tickets to fly there. You won't, you won't make travel plans to go to it. You see what I'm getting at there? The object, if you don't believe it's real, you won't pursue it. Faith comes first if you are moving towards the desire of your faith. And here's where this hits home. Many people will say they believe God exists, but they really don't believe it, at least in the way they live. Many Christians even are functional atheists. Yes, God is there, but there's no effort or desire to seek Him or to know Him or to experience Him. And here's the invitation. God invites and extends himself to us if we will pursue him by faith. He, he says, I am here. If, if we will believe he exists, then we will be on the path towards truth. He is there and he can be known. Well, you might say, well, wait, 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 wait. I'll grant that God or some higher power is there. But how do we really know him? I mean, how do we know what's there? And this is the second answer to why faith is essential. It's how we understand and know God. Belief in God, secondly, is how we understand Him. If God exists and we can know Him, then how do we, how do we get to draw close? How do we know how to get to draw close? I mean, what do we do? We don't want to go about it the wrong way. Think about it like this with me. Suppose I told you that we were going to go out and we were going to to discover and to tame the wild beast creature, the bat squatch, who, by the way, is a distant cousin of the Sasquatch. And you might say, well, I believe the bat squatch exists, but to tame it, to capture it, you, you'd probably need some more information about this bat squatch creature in order that you do it well. I mean, you'd have to think about, well, what is the bat squatch like? What doesn't it like? Uh, what kind of things are effective against the bat squatch? What things don't work at, well, at all? Does the bat squatch have scales or fur or wings or talons? Where does a bat squatch live, by the way? Is it a nocturnal creature? Is it a daytime animal? You would even have to ask the question, is the bat squatch an apex predator? Or is it some sort of like harmless cow sort of thing? You know, like what, what is the bat squatch? And you need information about it. Your belief in, ex in its existence needs some revelation to inform your belief so you can rightly relate to the bat squatch, right? So if there was no information, no documentation, I think you'd probably struggle to believe it at all. But if I was able to pull out some credible information, some credible resources, 
maybe some eyewitness accounts and, and some testimonies. I, I could show you some film of the creature in the wild and, and give you some real information on what it is and what it likes. You would know how to relate to and to tame the bat squatch all the better. Please don't be Googling bat squatch right now, by the way. <laughs> My point is this, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. You say, oh, God's out there, but can we really know him? Can, is there anything? Yes. The Christian faith has reasonable, credible sources that are more than just eyewitness accounts, although they include eyewitness accounts, more than just third-party testimonies. There is reality. God has revealed himself, and he's done so in two ways. First of all, in the natural world, you can go out to nature, look at the heavens above, look at all that has been created, the fields, the flowers, the canyons, you name it, the lakes, the seas. You can look at it, and all of nature... All of creation is proclaiming there is a God. Psalm 19, 11, or Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You want to just get a sense of the immensity or the greatness of God? Go stand out in a field in the darkness of night where all you're just illuminated by the stars, and you will feel this big. And you will say, I think, you'd have to recognize, unless you're just suppressing truth all the time, there's, this is something of God. Or Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20, God's invisible attributes, particularly, namely, his eternal power and his divine nature, his strength and his, his being God, are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God put his fingerprints all over creation so that humanity, you and I, are without excuse. Nobody can say in the last day, well, I... Didn't know you were existing there. I didn't know you were here, God. God says, look at what I made. It's all testifying to me. So the natural world proclaims, God is there. But then there's a deeper, greater testimony, and it's God's word himself. God has spoken and said, I am here. It's his word. The Bible is God's specific revelation of himself. It's the primary discourse and source explaining and revealing who he is. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God. Every word here is God spoken. God is speaking. Some people say, I want to hear God speak. Okay, open a Bible, read it. Well, I want to hear God speak out loud. Okay, read out loud. <laughs> God is speaking here. Or Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And even the scripture itself testifies and says, it's been written so that we might believe. John, John 20, verse 31 says, these are written so that you may believe. The Bible is here to promote and to create and to advance and cause to flourish within us faith. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we can understand God and his nature by who he describes and reveals himself to be in nature, but more specifically in the word. And to, believe, to, to grow in that, it requires a posture of faith coming to the word. And here's why it requires a posture of faith. Because when God speaks about himself, 
He is disclosing amazing mysteries of his incomprehensible nature. Like God is infinite and we are finite. And he is so incomprehensible that human, limited human beings like you and me, our cognitive ability cannot reach and comprehend the fullness of him. And yet faith draws us to know him better and closer. Faith draws us to his word. And so let me illustrate this. The Apostles' Creed makes an interesting profession. It doesn't just talk about one person. There's three names in there, right? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know about you, but I try and do the math on this, and I think about this, and I think about what other Christian creeds later have said, that God the Father, or the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there are one God, and, and that's where my head starts to hurt a little bit. Okay, we've got three names and, and one, one God. How does this all work together, and how does, how does the Scripture unpack that? Well, that's, that's where faith is required to go to the Bible and say, okay, God has revealed or disclosed himself in three persons, yet being one God. And does that work? And so we read in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or Paul says in Colossians, or 1 Corinthians 8.4, There is no God but one. So the Bible is adamant that we are monotheists. There is one God. One God and one God alone. And yet God is not divided into parts, nor are there multiple gods. So how do we, how do we deal with what the creed here states? That there is... The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three distinct persons. And that's where we are required to have faith in order to understand. These three distinct persons are talked about. Jesus even talks about them in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus speaks of one name, one essence, if you will, one nature, God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's the, that's the biblical language or the theological language of the Trinity. One God, eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like me a little bit, maybe this is kind of new language for you, your head might be spinning a little bit, hurting, going, what, what are we talking about here? How do you make sense of that? That's why we need faith. The Christian faith starts with faith. Not, not that we just throw rationality away and just blindly jump into this, but we, we say, okay, I believe, help my unbelief. The Christian faith, it points us to the scriptures, God's revelation of himself, and, and we may not fully comprehend every doctrine the Bible presents. We may, God is immense and we are finite. But as we believe and as we seek, we can understand and we can grow. And this is how God calls us as he has revealed himself. Faith is necessary to draw near to God. Faith is necessary to understand God. And so we keep pressing into the scripture saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to understand you well. I don't always get it. It doesn't make sense. But, but give me faith that I might see. He loves that prayer. God is not one that we just want to know and understand, though. He's not just an intellectual exercise. And this leads us to the third thing. God is someone that we want to enjoy. Many, uh, many people have a view of God that he's either apathetic, 
He's like, he's gone. He just made it all, and then he went to another universe to go play golf, and maybe he'll come back and do something around here. Or we believe that God is just extremely angry. He's just grumpy old God all the time. And when you think about God in one of those two categories, like he's either gone or he's angry, I admit, nobody would want to draw near to that guy. Nobody would want to be around him. And so we would... We don't believe, we step back. But remember what Hebrews eleven six here says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, A, and secondly, B, he rewards those who seek him. And that, that phrase at the end there has something really special for us. It points out that God is up to doing something good. He is a rewarder. He is a giver. God delights in being good. And that we, you and I, can find our good in Him. He rewards those who seek Him. And that's the third answer to the question, why is faith essential? Because belief in God is how we actually enjoy Him. Without faith, the writer here says, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. That's a posture of hope or confidence or assurance that God is good and that what he has for those who draw near to him or seek him is our good as well. A reward. If we hear these words and we take them to heart and we believe that God is good and he has a reward for those who seek him, what will that do in our lives? It will cause us, it will promote within us a desire to seek and enjoy him. And it will, it will cause us to go, I want the reward. I want the good that you have for me. What, what, this, what this is calling us to, it's an invitation to the Lord himself. Psalm 3410 says, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And why is it? Because God himself is good. Or Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? So that he, God, may have compassion on him. Return to our God. Why? So that he will abundantly pardon. He's speaking about the rewards there. The reward the writer of Hebrews is pointing to is the reward of God's good and gracious love, his abundant love. As we seek the Lord in faith, as we come to Him and understand Him through His Word, God is rewarding us with Himself and all that He is, life, salvation, eternal joy. But if we fail to believe, if we don't put our faith in God, we won't enjoy God. We won't experience and receive His blessings. In fact, we'll find ourselves facing doom, hell, final and ultimate justice because of our sins. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was a young kid, my parents, we lived in Colorado. My parents had four-wheel drive ATVs that we would go and romp up in the mountains with all the time, and it was great. On one adventure, we came to a pretty steep trail. We were out driving around, and the trail was steep, and it was narrow, and I was convinced we were going to die. Just knew it was going to happen. I, I began to swell up with fear and, and panic and just, just screaming and shouting, Dad, turn back. No, let's get out of here. We're going to die. Let's go back to the truck. I don't want to do this anymore. And I was just, I was just really having a, a, a moment. 
And my dad, I'll never forget this, my dad uh, took me off the bike and he turned me around and he looked me in the eye. He said, Jeremy, do you trust me? Do you believe that I love you and I have good things for you? I, I, I'm going to protect you. I, I want you to experience great things and I'm not going to do anything that's going to kill you or put you, you know, just put you in extreme danger. Like, I love you, son. Do you believe that? And I just kind of gathering myself and, you know, kind of crying it out and thinking about this logic here. Okay, dad says that he loves me and trusts me, but that cliff is pretty deep and like, uh, you know, what's it going to go? And I gather myself for just a moment and I nod my head. Yeah, dad, I believe you. All right, let's get on these bikes. Let's go. So dad threw me up on the four-wheeler again. Off we journeyed. And I saw some of the most incredible things in Colorado I have ever seen. These are remote trails. They're fixed in my mind to this day. And I lived. And I knew I could trust my dad all the more. I could draw near to him. Our relationship was strengthened because I believed him. And he had good for me. And this is, this is what the scriptures are encouraging us towards with God our Father, saying, believe me, trust me. As you do, as you seek me and you seek me as the reward, you'll find all the more good. You'll find my grace and, and my love and my sufficiency for all things. When we face a dark night of our soul and our faith is in God, even though the trial is great and there may be suffering and heartache, we have a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. We have a God who says, I am for you. I am with you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have a God who says, my reward for you is that you're now part of my family. Where you were once estranged and alienated, no, now you are adopted, loved, accepted, pure, holy, justified. I'll get you to the end. Because we have a God who rewards those who seek him, he says, the reward is, I free you from your bondage and slavery to sin because of what my son, Christ, has done on the cross for you. All the rewards come through Jesus who gave himself for us. God freely provides his grace and mercy to all who will trust in him. And Jesus did that. He came and he lived for us perfectly. He died on the cross for our sins. And he was raised to life again, vindicated on the third day. Friends, those blessings, those benefits of eternal life, of resurrection, of what the creed goes on to say throughout the rest of it, those only come through faith. Believing the God who is there. Believing the God who can be known. Believing the God who says, I've got a reward for you if you will seek me. And what's that reward? It's himself and all of his glory and goodness for us. So here's the question. Do you believe in that God? Do you believe in God? If you say yes, then, then the rest of our lives should be oriented around seeking and knowing and enjoying him forever. In fact, that's what another confessional statement has said. What is the, the chief end, the ultimate goal, the last point of human existence, the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what he offers to us. 
We can only receive it by faith. Do you believe in God? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.